Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to the CCW Safe podcast. My name is Rob High here in Oklahoma City, and today I have the distinct honor and privilege to have Miss Annette Evans on as a guest. Welcome, lady. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, Rob. I'm really excited to be here. I am so glad to have you finally. Um, why don't you kind of give our listeners a quick little background on you? And then we will start picking that apart if it's okay. Sure. So for those of you who haven't heard of me, my name is Annette Evans. I am the founder of On Her Own. And On Her Own is a place where I talk about and explore and help you explore all the ways that, um, all the things that you need to know in order to navigate the world solo. Because I've discovered every woman has that moment, whether it's their you know, moved out on their own for the first time, they've left a bad relationship, they've gone off to school, or even their partner, their loving partner has gone on a business trip and they're home alone with the kids for the first time. So this is a project where we look at personal safety, but we also look at all the other things that go into how do you live life as a woman on your own? So it's self-defense, it's, it's everything else. And I got here because I started in the self-defense world. Well, that's it. Let's go back a little further. I started in the competitive shooting world, and that led me to the self-defense world and the combatives world. I am currently a um, Rage Master certified firearms instructor. I am a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. That's still pretty new. I've written books about shooting. One of them, um, actually the book is the Dry Fire Primer. I've got cats. I've lived on my own. I've lived with partners. Um, I've traveled solo all over the place. And now I'm here to share those experiences with all the rest of you. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing some knowledge. Um, competitive shooting, what, what led you down that path? I decided at one point in my life that every girl should learn how to shoot a gun. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity with my now ex-husband. He had actually shot competitively in high school on his high school's rifle team. He has a varsity letter and rifle. And uh, soon after we got married, he had the opportunity to go to the range with his coworkers as a team building activity. Probably nothing you see a whole lot of now, but it was a thing that their all-male IT team decided to do. And I said, if you got to go to the range, I'd like to go to the range. And blindly in the blind, because he learned three-position rifle, learned how to shoot pistols, started taking a couple of classes. I decided that um, it's a little silly to know how to shoot a gun and not know how to use it to defend my home. It's a little silly to have a gun that I'm taking back and forth to the range with me and not know how to use it to defend myself. So you start going down that rabbit hole of classes and training. You learn how to uh, shoot a shoot a holster a gun, carry a gun, shoot it, draw your gun, shoot it from holster, and realize there's nowhere for you to practice that. So the one place that's really accessible to most people is competitive shooting. Yeah. I started shooting matches because I wanted to learn how to protect myself better. And I discovered a love for the game. That's not a bad way to get into it. Um, I'm going to real quick introduce everybody because she's so wandering around. This is my cat, Tuna. Tuna likes being on a podcast too. So you might catch a little more glimpse of her later on. <laughs> Um, without having a history, without having a background 
plugged in with a bunch of people that are in the shooting world, the concealed carry world, the self-defense world, what were some of the hurdles that you encountered trying to locate and find reputable training? <laughs> so I got really, really lucky. Um, I kind of fell in with some great resources early on. I, I learned how to use a shot timer in something like 2008 in the tactical world, you know, and I was competing with people who were saying, well, we don't like the games. We don't like USPSA. We don't like IDPA, but here's some other competition that we're doing that we think is more realistic. Here's a shot timer. It matters. So I got really lucky early on, but I think now we're in a golden age of media and of training. So there's a lot of resources for you to locate really, really good trainers, really, really good information that's out there. Part of that is this podcast, right? And there's other ones out there, both current and somewhat more historic, where you can go through something like uh, one of the early ones I was on was Ballistic Radio, right? And, you know, you could go kind of through the list of who have been the guests on that show. That's probably a pretty good start. Lucky yeah. Gunner. Yes. It's another great resource. Lucky Gunner's YouTube videos have been, you know, it's good information. Chris Baker is a friend of mine. Um, we've trained together quite a bit. There was a year when we were training together every other month. Um, so, you know, that's another, there's just good information out there. And the trick, I think, is to get a good look at what's out there and then start vetting it against each other. Yeah. Realize that you're looking for educational material and not entertainment material. A lot of a lot of big influencers out there who are putting out some really fun videos and some of them will say, Hey, I've got some information for you, but look at who their colleagues are. Look at who their peers are. Look at who's referencing them. And at some point you're going to kind of fall into a little bit of a circle and you're going to notice, Hey, all these guys have been at range master tactical conference. Maybe that's a clue. Hey, all these guys are, you know, on the same couple of podcasts and, you know, this, this guy's been on Lee Weems' That Weems Guy podcast. And then they turned around and they showed up on CCW Safe podcast. And then they turned, you know, two years, three years, four years ago, they were on ballistic radio. Maybe right. I should listen to them. Yep. That's so good. Um, because, you know, we've discussed this on our program before. There are, I, I think you're right. We, I think we're in a golden age right now. I think we've got some amazing people out there that aren't just good running a gun or just hand-to-hand -hand or whatever. They're also really good. They're very knowledgeable on how to uh, teach others. Um, there's lots of guys that are really good at a specific element, but they can't make me better at what I do. Yeah. Uh, Oh, like there's wonderful combatives people out there, very, very high skilled and everything, you know, all the whole nine yards, but can they teach like Craig Douglas? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, the, and there are, there's some guys out there that are just absolutely phenomenal at what they do. They're, they're as good as you'll find in any discipline, but we also have a bunch of guys out there that are that are very self-promoting. They're not, they're not as grounded. They're not as uh, proven under fire. Um, yeah. it, it's one thing to, to come up with a theoretical, if we did this, we could do that. 
It's another thing to go, I've done this in the real world and pressure tested this and I know that it works. That you know? pressure testing is really the important key point. You know, whether or not somebody's been in a gunfight for real or they've been in a street fight or whatever else, there are ways that we can, especially for self-defense, but even in competition, there's ways we can pressure test this. If yeah. I want to know somebody, if a technique is good in competition, I go to a match. How do I do in the match? How does that technique work in a match? If I want to know how a self-defense technique works or a combative technique works, we can go to the mats. We can do force on force. It can be done safely. It can be done without injury. And it can be done against somebody else who wants to win. Yes. And that's the key. Like, does this work when somebody else doesn't want you to win or they want to win at your expense? Right. Um, you know, mutual friend of ours, uh, Lisa Looper, um, the inventor and founder of Flashbang Holster Company. You did a deal. Was it early last year or was it late the year before? I think it was late the year before. Time's been flying. Or I, I, thought, I took the flashbang. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Um, and I knew what what would come from that because... I initially met Lisa as a vendor when I was running the police academy and she would come out and have new items and new things. And I might see something in their showroom and go, tell me about that. And they never once, not one time did they ever balk at giving me a couple of samples for t &E and we take them out and we do, we pressure test them. We're going to mm -hmm. put them on gun belts. We're going to, we're going to start fighting over them. We're going to see if we can tear them up, tear them off, break them, anything else. Oh. And they were so, they were so bought in to the safety of the guys they supplied equipment for that they were just point blank. Yeah. If there's any weak spot, you got to let us know. Absolutely. So the, the flashbang bra holster is controversial, has been controversial since it was released, I think over 10 years ago now. And, you know, everybody was sure that it was unsafe, that it wouldn't be accessible in a fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just you name it. People thought it was this terrible idea. And very early on, I was working with Kathy, Kathy Jackson, and we discussed it quite a bit and worked with, and we're like, well, it's certainly safe. Like it, it is fundamentally a safe holster, but we had never gone down the road of testing it for some of these other issues. And it wasn't really our focus. And um, I, I was doing a series within range where I was looking at various products marketed to women or techniques marketed to women and seeing, do they work or do they not work? And normally I'd buy my products just retail, just go out, buy them, see how they do. And I wasn't able to do that for the flashbang. I tried uh, because for safety purposes, I needed to use a CERT pistol. So CERT makes like a little mini PP pistol and uh, the pocket pistol. So I had to contact Lisa, who I've known for at this point, I think over a decade, which is kind of scary, um, and said, hey, I'm going to need you to do this. And, but you have to know what I'm doing. I don't want to like spring this on you. We're friends. I, and normally, you know, the way I would have sprung it on you would be, I bought the thing. I'd tell you. Not only did she fully support this project, her, I, I think her exact words were, I want to know if it doesn't work. Yeah. 
And that's something that's really important when it comes to looking at self-defense products and self-defense techniques is the people who, uh, who are pushing them should be interested in when they don't work just as much as they're interested in when they do work. Because if we had found that the flashbang was completely unusable inside of an entangled fight, you know, somebody gets their hands on you, we need to know that. That's not a, that doesn't make it a bad product. It means I have to rethink what my options and strategies are for when I'm using that product. It might not be the right product for me, or I might have to go, hey, I have to be really, really certain that they don't try to, that they don't get within a certain distance of me. Or if they do, I have to know that's not going to be a go-to option for me. I'm going to have to work on something else. Well, I, I think it's so cool um, that number one, you wanted to put that thing through the paces like that. Number two, that Lisa still has that kind of uh, that kind of investment in her customers that I, I got to know that this is safe for my for my tribe for my people. Um, but I thought it was also a really big deal and it a testament to the trust that Craig has in you, but that you got to run that through. Uh, Craig's Craig's course and and actually really do a trial by fire. Um, so I, I'm I have trained with Craig Douglas quite a bit. That was my second ECQC, but it was probably my let's see, I have done now two ECQCs, two or three ELOs, two AMISs. So for po folks who don't know what these classes are, I've done his edge weapon overview class, which is a two-day class on using knives inside a fight where somebody's coming at you or actually already hands on you. I've done the gun version of the class, which is a two and a half day class twice. I've done his armed movement and structures class, which is not a hands-on fighting class, but something that looks at the problem of what happens when you're inside a building and there might be bad guys. Uh, so I've done all of that with him. And I am a, now, after that ECQC where I use a flashbang, a graduate of his vehicle combatives class. And I have trained with the entire rest of the Shipworks Collective. And at the time I was a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt. So, some of this, it, it's not, oh, look at how great I am. It's, I went in with a lot of background. So he knew that I knew how to handle a gun. I knew how to handle the pressure of the class. I knew how to handle the exercises the class would go through. So it wasn't an all new setting for me. What was new, the variable that we brought in was a gun in a flashbang holster. Yeah, but the, you know, this this is such a, a small community. Um, Anybody that's in this training realm understands that that truly there's only so many ways we can bend, flex, manipulate a human body. Um, you can get a wrestler that calls a technique one thing and a, and a judoka that calls it another thing and a jits guy calls it another thing and it's the same technique. Mm -hmm. uh, but to have a community that is so uh they're really vested in in the the whole of the community I, I think that's one of the things that you would find when you're really researching a good instructor is number one who else is going to this instructor 
And number two, who is this instructor going to? So, so that's that's a big deal to me. And something that's kind of inherent in what you're saying is there's a concept that I've been talking about for many years now. And it's the idea that when we screw up, people die, right? As an instructor, as an influencer, I guess that's the word now, as as somebody who's trying to educate other people about self-defense in particular, even about guns in general, whether it's for competition or gaming or for fun or for self-defense, when we screw up, people die for real. They might die because they're handling their guns incorrectly in the home. They might die because they're using unsafe gear and it's a holster that isn't really a holster and it allows the trigger to be pressed while it's carried or points guns in unsafe directions or allows guns to become projectiles inside cars. Um, It might be because we teach them the wrong technique and they're not able to win the fight on the biggest day of their life. And we could do everything right and it can still go wrong. But if we do things wrong, it will absolutely go wrong. So to me, I'm looking for people who understand that gravity. You know, I want the instructor who is going to be upset the day one of his or her students doesn't make it. The one want the instructor who wonders, what could I have done better to give them a better chance? It's not that it's not fun. You know, we have a ton of fun when we train, we enjoy each other, we, you know, we're friends and everything else. But underlying all of that, when it comes to the actual work that we're doing, when we screw up, someone dies. Do they understand that? Do they care about that problem more than they care about what their reputation looks like, how much money they're getting from a sponsor, how popular they are, how many followers they have. Yeah, absolutely. When so I was, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm gonna jump on, I'm gonna jump on it and share it with you. Um one of the very first recruits I ever trained was was killed in the line of duty. Um so sorry. A classmate, a classmate of mine lost his life in the line of duty. So sorry. Buried friends. And and it's one of those that instead of instead of trying to to back away from that, I I became that much more fully vested in it. And it became that big a deal. And and so I don't care who it is. I don't care if, if we have a personal like or dislike or anything else. If somebody's good, they're going to get my endorsement that they're good. Um, it's just one of those things that there's so much out there that, like you're talking about, um, lives are on the line when things are are not done well or not done properly or has, hasn't been through a pressure test. And all of a sudden, I think that this might work. And then you know, I would never introduce something without running it through a full cadre of guys and going, let's see give this a run. Let's see what we got here. And it's amazing just how incredible that training community has become now. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're down in, at the Dallas Pistol Club and, and watching Rangemaster. And what Tom and Lynn have built um, in that community is it's amazing it is if you can ever get into that 
range master class, the TACCON conference, you're just take notes. I mean, just that, that's who you want to go see. That, those are the people that I want to, I want to grab Lee or I want to grab Eric Gelhaus or I want to grab Brian Eastridge or, and we have all these guys at our, at our beck and call really. I mean, these guys have, have answered that call and they've stepped into the arena and they're, and they're doing things the right way. And at the same time, they never just hang on to the status quo. Um, they're always pressing and, and testing and seeing seeing what we can come up with this next evolution. And that that's what, to me, that's where the value in those guys are. And in the brilliance to just question what what we've always done. If, you know, well, we've always done it that way. But is there a better way? Is there an easier way? Is there a more effective way? So. Well, one of the things that's telling to me, and I, I'm exceptionally privileged with the amount of training I've gotten to do, but how many of the instructors that I'm interested in training under, I have trained next to? Yes. You know, Lee, Lee Weems, I know from, you know, the entire Range Master community and everything else. But where I really know Lee from is that three days he sent, spent next to me on the range at a class that we took together or uh, Greg Alifritz, another one. I've known Greg on and off for years. I keep trying to actually take an entire class from Greg. But what I know is that Greg was at my range master instructor development class. You know, thousands of hours of training yes. over decades. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'd never gotten a chance to, like my life never lined up with an IDC and this is the one that where it did. And I'm looking next to me in the lines, like the gorilla Fritz is next to me on the line at a basic instructor development class. Cause he's like, yeah, I really needed to, you know, get to taking this. And I'm just really sad it's taken me this long. That's yeah. the kind of person that I, I want to trust my training to. Yeah. Um, and then where did you get into your, evolution into hand-to-hand -hand stuff did that come through a craig school <laughs> it's all craig's fault um i went to my first edge weapon overview not knowing anything at all i had never been in a physical altercation in my life before i went to ewell um i i knew nothing i i was i didn't even watch ufc right like i didn't know anything about fighting i didn't know what an underhook was i didn't know what an overhook was i just knew here's an opportunity to take this class i should go learn something i learned something i learned that i, I was a pretty good shooter by then i learned that nothing i knew about guns was actually useful for a large portion of my physical self-defense i learned that uh there's no magic switch that turns on when you need to learn you need to fight and I, I got easy evolutions, you know, I got really nice people for the most part, and it was awful. There, there's an article floating around somewhere where I'm like, this is the class where I learned I would die. Like, that's it. Somebody got their hands on me, I'm going to die. I, bawling my eyes. Every Craig class I do, he does a hot wash at the end of class, I'm always crying. It's just the way I am. Um, and I'm, like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. What can I do, Craig, so it's not like that? He's like, you've already taken the first step. Coming out of this class, you're already not going to just die. But if you go take a little jujitsu, and in this class, as assistant instructors, was also Sean Lupka, anti-fragile training out of Pittsburgh, and Jeff Bluvman, 
these arm dynamics out of Philadelphia. And they're both going, you know, Annette, you do a little jujitsu. It's going to be so much better for you. You know, it's a really great art for helping you feel a little bit less panicked while you're being, you know, somebody else has their hands on you. And it's also really good art for somebody who's smaller against somebody who's larger. And then uh, Jeff and Sean gave me a jujitsu introduction weekend out in Pittsburgh where I took like four classes in two days and came home, found a gym. Uh, I've been training at Precision Jiu-Jitsu ever since. So it'll be five years in a couple of months here. And initially it was a, well, I'm going to take a couple of months, see how it goes, learn a little something, get a little bit more comfortable. I actually got my first stripe on my white belt the week before I went to my first ECQC. What a world of difference. Evo, I'm going to die. ECQC. Well, this sucks, but you know, they're not going to like it. Like they're going to think they made a poor life, life decision on their way to killing me. (laughs) And I think that particular timing really helped because I had sort of this like immediate gratification, right? I'd put in, you know, four or six months of jujitsu and suddenly like, whoa, ECQC wasn't this horrible experience that Ewo was. Um, And then I just kept training jujitsu for the love of it right like I I enjoy the combatives world I think it's really interesting I think there's some really fascinating problems that we solve there and I train at a sport jiu-jitsu gym I love it there the the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is if you've never been involved in a physical confrontation and I mean physical just learning how to relax and weather the storm and breathe um, is is enough to make you hard to kill. Man, if every every woman in America, every person in America who asked me what they needed to do to be to for their self-defense, like what's the single investment that they could make that would be, you know, really, really on point. Um, spend four to six months. So like half a year, a college semester, go to any jujitsu class, like a fundamentals class I'll do once or twice a week. That's it. That's it. Not the rest of your life. You don't have to train five days a week. You don't have to train super hard. Go once or twice a week consistently for four to six months. That's all I ask of you. It might seem like a lot, but I'm thinking it's not much more than, oh, I decided to sign up for, you know, a couple sessions of a spin, you know, a couple months of a spin class or something like that. Same thing. Yeah. I I audit one college class. That's the kind of commitment I'd like you to make. I told Lisa to do that. Yeah. That's not asking too much. Um, She's found her a spot. Good. She's she's found her a spot. She's got, uh, I think I think their company is going to be at NRA and then something else, and then she's into the summer season and she's going to fully immerse. I believe. Perfect. Um, it's just there's. I want you to kind of continue to speak on that a little bit then, because that once once or twice a week is absolutely enough. But no. I was. 
over the defensive tactics program for the police department. And we're the, the largest agency in Oklahoma, the largest city in Oklahoma. Uh, we had the most manpower of, of any agency in Oklahoma. Um, I would get phone calls at the training center weekly about, hey, we would, we'd like you to come do a, a self-defense class for women, for women and, and show them how to, how to defend themselves on Saturday morning. <laughs> You got I, two hours. What are you going to do? So, no, <laughs> no, no. I, I'd be happy to come talk to them. Um, we can discuss anything you want to know related to um, your your self awareness and and not allowing yourself to walk in and just become a victim. Um, but as far as techniques we're not we're not going to do that i'm not going to i'm not going to lie to somebody and and make them think that this is enough that you can survive this attack now there, there's it's not ever going to happen so you've oh. had that experience now and you've you've vested your own personal time uh, and effort so the the difference between somebody coming in and saying they can they can throw this magic technique at you versus this is something that, because I, I still go with the whole, you know, most people when they when they grab and they grapple and they do things, not only do they tense their muscles completely, but they hold their breath. <laughs> and, and to learn how to how to relax and get through that makes you survive. You need time. Makes so here, you, yeah, you need that mat time. I think the shortest program I've seen that I really like, and I'm biased here, is Cecil Birch's Immediate Action Jiu-Jitsu, Immediate Action Combatives. So that's a two and a half day program, like two days and one evening. And I, I'm biased. I've trained with Cecil a lot. He allows me to AI for that class. But I think in terms of like, how can I quickly learn some skills, dedicate that weekend? I think that's really going to get you there. But other than that, I've actually been toying with a half day, one day, and there's not a whole lot we could fit in, in a way that really makes you able to employ those techniques later on, because yeah. it's both the, you have to learn, you just got to do a little suffering. You got to learn how to manage, you know, a dude who's lying on top of you, who wants to hurt you, um, in a friendly way when you're in jujitsu, <laughs> Uh, but there's also the motor learning takes more repetitions than that. It takes more time than that. What I would think is if we've got really, really short time period is I'm looking at things like Craig Douglas is managing unknown contacts paradigm. So how to manage people coming at you and drawing those boundaries against strangers to keep them out of your range. I really like uh, uh, pepper spray as a really great tool for sort of that entry-level self-defense. I'm an instructor under Chuck Haggard's program there that I think is a really good start. Any of the instructors that he's minted, I think would be excellent for you to spend a couple hours with on how to effectively choose and use pepper spray. Yes, and I have a resource center online that gives you a lot of that information as well. And then beyond that, I'm looking at the extension of Craig's Monk paradigm at default cover. So default cover is a technique to help you deal with sort of that sucker punch 
kind of problem or somebody kind of rushing you to try to get you off your feet. And then there's some very, very basic groundwork that essentially comes down to how do you protect yourself from the immediate attack and what can you do to stand back up after it? Because it's not as simple as just stand up. If you think it's as simple as just stand up, I invite you to come watch UFC with me this weekend and we'll find out how it's not that simple. <laughs> um, so, you know, th there's some basic stuff that we can learn, but it's not going to make you a suit. It's going to help you. It's going to bring you half a step up the mountain. It's not going to bring you to the peak of the mountain in a very short period of time. The lowest investment way to get you kind of partway up to maybe the first plateau as you're coming up the mountain, the first terrace would be that, you know, four to six months of jujitsu or spending some real quality time with thinking about working with the idea of the managing unknown contacts material or boundary setting in general. I think if everybody understood boundaries and how to set them and how, and the idea that they need to be enforced, that would do really well too. I mean, you might need some therapy for that, but also a an excellent way to spend your time for self-defense. And then when it comes to like, oh, guns, knives, and everything else, sprinkle those in after. Yeah, I agree with you. That That's great, great advice. Um, you were talking about resources. Where, where can... Where can our folks follow you? Where can they plug in and see what kind of resources that you've already kind of vetted so that they don't have to have to wonder and do all the hard work? So my website is onherown.life. And that's where I've collected all of my writing. I'm still building it out as everybody with a website is still building it out, no matter how long it's been up. I also have a self-defense resource center. And Rob, I'll get you the link so you can drop it in episode descriptions and all that. Awesome. That's a whole bunch of information about pepper spray, basic self-defense ideas. Um, some articles address things like, should you carry a knife for self-defense? Should you carry a gun for self-defense? Things to think about with those options. And some basic introductions to the managing unknown contacts, default cover, and other things that I've mentioned. You can also follow me on various forms of social media. My my uh, username handle on all of them is on her own life. All is one word. And on the uh, social media profiles, they all have a link tree that kind of points you to a number of other resources as well. Nice, nice, nice. So I know that I know that you've got the five or six years vested in your grappling background now. Um, Have you have you pressure tested any of that stuff through competition? Are you are you going and and rolling against folks? Because I can tell you, we can we can go to the to OKC Combat Sports here, and <laughs> it will absolutely be a pressure test. I don't care who it is, what level they're at. They'll threaten me with a good time <laughs> because you're going to have guys in there just just in their daily rolling that have competed internationally and have been Olympians and have competed on a world stage and things like that. Um, but there's something to be said about, and I try to always explain this, especially with, with teenagers and, and kids that, that get really worked up over the, the butterflies and the anxiety of, of having to, 
to show up and actually test this stuff. And it's, I'm going to give myself to you so that you can see where you're at and you're going to do the same for me. I'm going to, I'm going to get to see my, my evolution because you're going to let me try it out for real. Um, do you do any of that? I actually don't compete a whole lot in, in combat sports. I, uh, have a day job. <laughs> I have a day job and I'm getting old, frankly. And, uh, one of the issues with competition and may- maybe this is a self, a, a self-perpetuating problem. It's very difficult to find opponents in my uh, weight class and age class. And so, you know, finding purple belt women uh, between 40 and 45 who weigh 140 pounds. Now you all know my details. It's not a secret. Uh, th- that's hard to find. So, you know, if I compete, I did take a super fight in December and she was uh, literally young enough to be my daughter. If I had her after I graduated law school, Um, she outweighed me by about 30 pounds. And even though she was in her teens, she had been training for almost 10 years on and off. So uh, yeah, that I try not to do that very often because there is in fact a risk of injury whenever you participate in a combat sport. That said, I still go to force on force classes. You know, is it the same level of competition? Maybe, maybe not. We all have egos involved. We all still want to look good in front of the instructor. So I I still take force on force classes. I still, I also go to a gym where people are heavy hitters. So even when we're being friendly, we're there to help each other. We're there to learn and nobody really wants to lose very much. And I think that, you know, not all gyms are created equal that way. And it can be helpful to find at least some time at a gym that's like that. The other thing I love to do um, is when I get the opportunity to travel, sometimes I'll either drop in on a gym or find some time to roll with one of my buddies. So down at the tactical conference, you probably missed this because we were just kind of off to the side on Sunday afternoon couple of uh, people found an empty grassy area and started doing some jujitsu. Uh-huh. And we weren't going really hard. We weren't trying to compete or anything, but it gives you a sense when you work with people you don't work with on a regular basis. Where am I? Yes. And that's the biggest deal right there is, you know, I, I coached high school wrestlers for, for a long time and I was blessed to have a lot of amazing athletes, but the chess match really kind of goes away when you have the same workout partner day after day, after day, after day, after year, after year, because I know what you're going to do. You know what I'm going to do. So it's, it's really kind of a a tactical stalemate and just hoping that the other makes a mistake. How Uh, much better are they doing it this week? How much have they cleaned up their technique? How tired am I? It's still worthwhile training, but it's not quite the same. It is not like the same. So just the the opportunity to have somebody else to let me see where I stand today. Uh, same thing if if we're if we're going out and, and shooting pistol competition. Oh. You know, I'm still competing against me. Um, and I think a lot of people get a little twisted over, uh, well, you know, he's not that good a shooter. And I'm talking about competitively. And one of the first things I always 
try to remind guys of is, you know, Butch Harmon was Tiger Woods golf coach. Butch was never going to beat Tiger, but he was able to elevate him to that next level. So there are those guys in the world that, that have. He's still probably better than you and me. Oh yes. You know, he's not world-class Tiger, but he's probably well, well, well above average. Absolutely. But he probably doesn't remember that some days because he needs to go out and play golf with normal people. Yeah. Yes. But that's actually what I love for some force classes for, because there's always a couple of new guys or new girls. And I go, Oh, I remember what that was like. I have a lot of empathy for that. And also thank God I've moved past that. It's kind of like rolling with new white belts. (laughs) The biggest biggest danger in the dojo. Super dangerous, but you know, I finally got to the point where I feel pretty safe with them because I can control and manage that. But that is a really good test is, you know, when I can roll with a new white belt, somebody who's in their first, you know, two months of training jujitsu and just shut them down. You know, not in a mean way. I'm going to let them do some things, but like, they're not going to try things that are dangerous to me because I'm going to stop it. That's a great it. test. Yeah, I agree. But they are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's the other part of, you know, you're, you're discussing it you get to a certain age and your body does not have the same recuperation process that it did when you're in your teens and twenties. Um, and then all of a sudden you walk into that place and there's, there's a new guy that might have a little bit of color on a belt and, and all of a sudden they see, Ooh, that guy's got rank mm-hmm. and they feel like they have to, step in and and show you what they got um being the smallest girl smallest person in the gym and being a woman in a male-dominated combat sport in a male-dominated gym is frankly a dangerous place to be can be it can be because there's a target on your back and all it does is grow yeah yeah the the higher the higher you raise up in your education (laughs) the the uh the ferocity of the challenges changes a little bit. Yes, it um, does. So what do you got on your horizon? What do you have coming up? I will be at NRA, the annual meetings. And then after that, I have been fortunately invited to some to a private class in May. So I'll be spending a couple of days out in the mountains of Utah, uh, seeing just how hard I can run the new Beretta Cheetah. Oh, I want to hear, I want to hear a report on that. I really like that gun. I've put about 275 rounds through mine so far and really, really pleased with it. So I'm excited to see how, uh, how hard I can run it, how high performance I could get that gun. I'm already happy enough with it to carry it. So the the Beretta didn't even need to pay me to do that. That's awesome. Well, um, you have any anything any takeaways as we as we shut down for the day? Sure, I'm going to kind of do do that. Drop a bomb and and leave and give some people something to think about. When we do self defense, everything we've talked about has kind of assumed that the bad guy is the shadowy stranger in the alleyway. Think, take everything we've talked about, everything that we think about when we think about self defense, and what happens when it's somebody you know. 
Yes. I, I just ran across a news story today out of the Southwest where um, two girls were stabbed horribly by their roommate. People, they, they, all three of them had kind of grown up together, literally moved across the country with each other. And one day, wake up to the roommate stabbing them. Yeah. How does this all change when that happens? And that's really something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. And I think that just, just want to throw that out there for you to think about is whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, whoever you're training with, whatever you're thinking about, whatever self-defense material, educational material you're consuming, think about how that applies when you know the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Whole different world. Um, and it can hinder your level of determination um, or the level that you would normally respond in defense. So yeah, I think that's a great point. I appreciate that. Something to think about. Thank you so much for, for sharing your time with us today. Um, we'll have to do this again. Let, let's, let's grab somebody else and make a, make a, make a, uh, a full-blown chop it up session about one particular thing. We'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. Absolutely. I'd be happy and honored to be back on here. Thank you so much, Annette. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in again. We will look forward to seeing everybody next week. And as usual, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always reach me direct at Rob, R-O-B, at ccwsafe.com. Uh, thank you, everybody, and we will see you next time around. Bye, guys.